Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So sometimes the scriptures, uh, the way that the lectionary lays things out, they try and be a little bit more obvious some days than others, the connection. So you have Isaiah in the first reading talking about on this mountain the Lord will provide a feast for his people. Then you skip ahead to the gospel. Jesus goes up the mountain and provides the miraculous loaves and fishes, provides a feast for the people. But there's, there's more. There's, a, there's more depth to this than just, hey, here's some food, right? That, there's more going on here. So if you happen to be at the, uh, the, the 5 p.m. Vigil or the 8 a.m. Mass this past weekend that I, I had, um, you heard me frame in our Advent journey by first sharing the, uh, the church's teaching on Advent from the Catechism, from paragraph 524. If you, weren't, if you didn't hear me preach this past weekend, let me just reread that paragraph because I want to connect that to the readings that we have for today, especially from Isaiah. So 524 from the Catechism says this, that when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desire that he must increase but I must decrease. So for the ancient Israelites, taught by the prophets, guided by the Spirit. They were, they were moved to long for the Messiah. They were moved to long for the days of the, the, the anointed one, the Mashiach in Hebrew, right? The one who would inaugurate covenant fulfillment, who would bring all of it to completion, who would restore all of creation, right? They were looking ahead to those days when the Messiah would come. And one of the central hopes, one of the central images that dominated this messianic hope, this messianic expectation was this image we have from Isaiah today, right? This image of the Lord's mountain, the mountain of the Messiah, that upon this mountain, the Messiah will provide, the Lord will provide for his people in abundance, juicy, rich foods and pure choice wines that the, that the mountains will flow with wine. And he says this, this is part of it too, this is what I want to get to, that on this mountain the Lord will provide for his people and he will destroy death forever. Like that right there, like that destroying of death forever was a central part of the ancient expectancy of the Messiah, the ancient expectancy of Israel, that when he comes, death will die which is an incredibly audacious thing to hope for. Because what could be more patently obvious than the absolute sovereignty of death? Right? Death claims everything. Death, death claims everyone. Everything that we love, everything that's breathing, everything seemingly eventually gets claimed by death, and yet stirring in the hearts of the people is not merely a longing for food and drink, it was a longing for eternal life, a longing for death to be destroyed, for God to come and do something about death. So I guess the question for us as Christians, as we celebrate Advent, entering into the ancient expectancy of the Israelites is, like, how do we make sense of that? Because God did come 2,000 years ago in the incarnation, 
and people still die. And not just people, everything that's alive still dies. So was Isaiah's dream, was it just a pipe dream? That's the question. Here's where we have to recognize, this is what we have to enter into, especially with Advent, what we call in our sort of Catholic imagination, the already and the not yet reality of the kingdom. It's already established, it's happened, and it's not yet brought to fulfillment. We're living in the in-between period. So let's go back and understand a little bit more deeply this imagery of the Lord's mountain. When was that really fulfilled? Not so much on the mountain of the miraculous multiplication of loaves and fishes, but it was really fulfilled on Golgotha. Like when Christ, when he mounted the cross on Mount Golgotha, he established that mountain as the Lord's mountain that Isaiah dreamt about. And flowing from his heart comes this river of divine love. Is it any coincidence that Jesus turned water into wine as his first miracle, as a preliminary miracle, because one day he would turn wine into his own blood? That the wine of the Old Testament was always merely a symbol of divine love. Flowing from his heart, flowing out of this mountain, comes this river of divine love, this new mystical wine. And just like Cana, right, Jesus saved the best wine for last on this mountain. There on that mountain, on the cross, he's offering his flesh. Juicy, rich food, pure choice wines. He offers himself as the banquet And he himself is the host of this banquet. He himself is the food. He himself is the medicine. And there on the cross, like, what is he doing? He's the general who in his death, he invades death's fortress and he robs Satan of his power to hold souls forever in eternal death. That's what what held sway was eternal death eternal separation from God, eternal disintegration of body and spirit. And what he does is he inaugurates, through the sending of the Spirit, he inaugurates the church. And through the gift of the Spirit, he begins to inject into this world, this fallen world, this world that's a corpse, divine life. That's what the mission of the church is, is to breathe divine life, to be salt and light and leaven in this rotting world to vivify this world. He's injecting divinity into our fallen humanity in and through the sacraments, in and through, in particular, the Eucharist. He's offering this world a spiritual blood transfusion so that we can begin to carry in us, we can begin to carry in us heaven. If heaven is where the king is and the king comes to me in the Eucharist, then I carry heaven in me and you carry heaven in you. We get to begin carrying heaven inside of us. And by that, we become more and more distasteful to death. So that when death does come for each of us, which it will, it can't hold us any longer. Death will spit us out. It finds Christians distasteful because we taste like the resurrected one. So death was destroyed on that mountain. And death is destroyed in him, right? And death is slowly destroyed in us. 
I mean, right here today, as you come forward to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, you're receiving the fruit, the fruit that hangs from the tree of life. Right? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. This is the food. This is the bread come down from heaven. Not like your ancestors who died and ate in the wilderness, but whoever eats this bread will live forever. All of these mysteries are connected. All of these mysteries are connected. This is where the mountain is, right here. Right here. You've come to the Lord's mountain where the feast is being provided, where death is destroyed. Amen.